Rich, thanks for inviting me up here. <laughs> oh man, I just kept thinking the struggle is so real. I, I just, you know, as a communicator, I know I just get stuck in ruts of using the same words over and over and over again. And it's been, you know, high school students and youth ministry that have just picked on me around that. My family reminds me of that all the time. But, you know, it's just kind of a funny threat tonight that we get to enjoy with you, Rich. Not at you, but with you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> have you had a good day today? It's been a good day today. Feels like we've settled in, right? You know, we've had a few days, we've kind of got into the rhythm, we're settling in. Today was an easy morning where we slid into it, it was just nice. Uh, we shared a moment in here, I'm going to come back to it in uh, just a bit in this message because I think it applies. We shared a moment in here that was holy this morning. It was just an incredibly holy moment. And then we went out on our day, and a lot of us kind of, you know, left the property. For us, we went out to have lunch and then went over to Casey's, which how great is Casey's? For those of you who went, it was kind of fun to like be out in the town because we were like, family camp. Yeah, yeah, we're together. This is great. And then there's a lot of other people in public. And it's kind of a picture of what we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to kind of reintegrate back into our lives, reintegrate back into the world. But God has connected our hearts in a holy way while we've been together. And that's a way that's inseparable. It's a way that we're going to get to celebrate one day together in heaven. And I think it's a really beautiful picture of what we're here for. We got back in the afternoon, and um, I was just really looking forward to not doing anything. Um, Tim's laughing. I was really looking forward to just walking down to the beach, just taking it all in, maybe just interacting with a few of you, then going back up and kind of thinking about my talk. But Tim Linker had other plans. Um, Tim, Tim called me out. Tim called my friend Brad out because we had promised that we were going to go down the slip and slide yesterday today. The promise was made yesterday, and today it needed to be made good, and that wasn't about to be let go. And so our kids were going down, and then finally Brad and I went and got our stuff on, and uh, I went down the slip and slide. That was an experience. (laughs) Have you had that experience yet? I hope many of you have, because it's really something that's unparalleled. I mean, I don't know how to describe what it was like. I mean, it felt cold right away, and then you go down and you feel every little bump in the topography, and then you fly into this just unknown space of bubbles. And at that point, the bubble pile was like six feet high, and you know, Brad and I knocked it down a little bit, but then Brian Linker came in and went full dad mode. Like, full dad mode. That guy went down the hill at a full clip and like almost made it to the gravel pit. That was... Like he told us, Brian, you told us that was your goal, like to reach the gravel. Why? (laughs) You didn't have your shirt on? I mean, that would have gotten a little gnarly if he would have reached the gravel, but that was just such a fun experience. And then the banana boat, it was really funny, and just our, our little cabin, little Chandler came back, and I was working on my talk, and he popped in, and he said it was so fun, but he said it was really boring. I mean, this is a four-year-old. He goes, it was boring to ride on it. And it was really awesome when we tipped over. I went under the water. (laughs) I mean, what a courageous little guy he is. But what a great day and what a great experience. And just to recap a little bit, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. I just want to invite you to open up your Bibles as you have them tonight in whatever form. We're going to be in chapter 6. And what we've been doing is looking at these moments within the book of Ephesians as Paul writes to this ancient church at Ephesus when he uses this phrase, in Christ or in the Lord, which is really meaning the same thing. 
And it's a description of who we are different from who we used to be. We've spent a lot of time in that. But tonight we're also going to see it's a description of the provision that we're given to face whatever it is that we're facing in our lives. Be strong in the Lord is what we're going to hear tonight. And there's a profound, powerful passage that's iconic that you've probably heard multiple times that I think is really timely in the nature of the world that we navigate today. Tonight, as we armor up, in Christ, we armor up to stand firm. And what we're going to talk about tonight is verses 10 through 18 in Ephesians 6. It's about the armor of God. We're going to get through a few, but then we're going to carry it on. This is part one of the message. I'll finish it up tomorrow. But in Christ, we get to stand firm. I want to emphasize that this is important because as we talked about a couple nights ago, spiritual conflict is everywhere. There's a battle that's raging. We have an enemy, that's the devil, but we also have the world and the systems that we face and we confront, but then we also have our own flesh. And that's a kind of a trifold battle that we're all engaged in, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians. But, and Rich mentioned this last night, just in his prayer as he was praying, and it captured me, in another scripture passage in 2 Peter, we're told that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And part of the assets, part of the equipment, part of the tools that we go out to live out there what we've done in here is what God gives us in a sense of armory, in a sense of tools, in a sense of ways to fight the battle. Because in Christ, we armor up to stand firm. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this passage, the whole of it, all nine verses, and then I want to unpack a little bit of it, and then I'm going to finish by reading the passage again. Because if there's anything that we do here, my hope is that God just speaks to you through this. This is alive and active. This is not. This is capable of changing our lives. This is just a reflection of what is capable of changing our lives. So let's read together. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, remember, what's it there for? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Gosh, this is good. We could take a lot of time here. But I trust that God is going to speak to you in the way that you need to hear. So here's a few things that I want to emphasize. The first is this, to be strong in the Lord. So here's that in Christ, in the Lord moment. God calls you and I to be strong, to be strong. Strength is a virtue. It's something that we all want to have. We don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to be weak. There's nothing in us that wants to feel that, but we are. We are. 
God is not calling us to be strong and muster up enough courage and strength on our own. No, what is he saying? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. At our church, we have kids that are interspersed within our worship gatherings, grade one and above. And one of the things that captured me, sometimes it's really important to read the Bible with a child's eye. How would you explain this to a kid? And one thing that captured me is the word mighty. And so with kids, I'd say this. It doesn't say be strong in the Lord in his kind of power or his medium power or his somewhat okay power. What does it say? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the same strength through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that strength is available for you and I to be strong. Don't miss the word finally. Now this is a cap. This is kind of a stone, a lid, not necessarily to contain it, but just to summarize it, of everything that Paul has written thus far. Finally, sums it all up. Who you were, who you are, who Jesus is, and who you are in him, finally be strong in the Lord because they know what's about to happen. Have you ever tried to fight a battle in your own strength? My guess is the answer is yes at some level. We always try to do that. And again, it's that old idea that we talked about a couple nights ago that when we lose sight of God, that's when we often fall. We try to fight our battles oftentimes in our own strength. I'm conditioned like this. I think it's a little bit of my genes, it's a little bit of my fallen nature, but if there's a struggle in front of me, I'm going to keep quiet and do it myself. And that usually doesn't go well, by the way. And I feel like right now, my wife and I and just this team of people are in the learning lab of what it means to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power as we've done church planting. When we started this journey, I had no idea what was going to happen. No idea. And I think the scarcity in me, just the weakness in me, the, the humanity in me said, I'm not strong enough. Am I going to be a good enough communicator? Am I going to be a good enough pastor? Am I going to be a good enough leader? Well, the answer actually was no. I'm not enough. And when we come to that point and we realize, no, we're not enough on our own, that's an awesome opportunity to just have the humility to be on our knees asking for the Lord to do what only he can in our families, in our life, in our jobs, and in the battles we face because he's done it. And I could go on for way too long telling you story after story after story of how in the last year God has been abundantly faithful to provide. And in 25 years of Family Fest, I'm sure that a lot of you who have been alongside of this journey can say how God has been remarkably faithful over and over again to provide. The truth is, we are not good enough. But what God says, God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So in those moments that you face of self-doubt, of enemies raging, of calling into question your very identity, we're called to remember that we can only fight the battles ahead of us through God's power alone. It's way better when we do it that way. So I just want to ask you the question, what's the battle that you face right now? Because we all do. We all have a battle that we're facing. Maybe it's really specific. Maybe it's just general friction that you have that's in front of you. And what does it look like for us to just stand strong in the strength that comes only from the Lord? You know, I think 
I want to go back to something that I mentioned this morning. We were given just an incredible gift to hear from Gino and from Lynn because we got to see strength in the Lord on display. Two people who are navigating something that is really, really, really difficult, who are standing strong and firm and holding fast and doing so in a way that's just displaying beauty into this world. You know, I've also thought about Ephesians chapter 5 when it talks about marriage. For this reason, a husband and leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and this is a profound mystery. And Paul writes, the mystery that we're seeing on display is the love of Jesus Christ for the church. And we just saw a profound mystery displayed before us this morning as you were communicating how God has led you through this. And we were so gifted by your example. And I just said afterwards, I could listen to the two of you speak for like hours. You should be up here, not me. Because you're on display, strength in the Lord, fighting the battle every single day with just the provision that he's given to you. And on behalf of all of us, we love you and we thank you so much for giving us the gift of seeing your journey and just an example of what it looks like to trust Jesus. So thank you guys. We all have a battle and we all have a battle to face with God. And Psalm 28, seven through nine says this, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. What a profound truth. The Lord is my strength and my shield. We're called to be strong in the Lord. And when we're ready, when we're at a point, when we run into the brick wall of our own inadequacy, that's a perfect moment for us to say, we need your strength. So if there's nothing else that you hear from me tonight, just hear God's word say, don't be strong in yourself. Don't fight your battles on your own. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power that is made perfect where we are most weak and where we are most vulnerable and where we are most human. I think Paul also calls us to realize the battle that we're in, and we read it in verses 11 through 12. We put on the full armor so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is against, again, as we've talked about, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it's positioned to take from us. As we heard from Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief has come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus profoundly says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God's answer is Jesus. And I love how he sang that song, I speak the name of Jesus, because there's nothing better that we can do. There's really nothing better that we can do to speak our, the name of Jesus over our families, over our cities, over our schools, over our kids. But another key moment that we have to recognize is who the battle belongs to. Remember David's story, David and Goliath? Oftentimes we don't examine that to realize how actually inadequate David was in and of himself. I mean, he's a boy at this point. And there's a battle that's raging in this valley between the Philistines and the Jewish people, the Jewish army. And so they go out to this river, right? And we know the story. We've heard it since felt boards were a thing. We know what happens. We know that David takes this pouch. And sometimes maybe some of you are seeing little vegetables sing songs right now as I'm explaining this story, right? But think about this. When David gets to the front line, his people, the Jewish people, are cowering in fear. 
And who can blame them? They've heard the voice of this giant calling out and mocking the name of God. And they know that they're doomed in their own strength. But right before David faced Goliath, here's what he said. 1 Samuel 17, 47. All those gathered here will know, listen to this, that it's not by sword or it's not by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. That's the profound difference maker. Because if David were out on his own, he's sunk. But he recognized something critical before he went and faced that battle. Think about your battle. It's not by sword. It's not by spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord and he will give us everything that we need. The same spirit is true for us in the battles that we face. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Now, when the battle is too big for us, when it's too big for us, and it oftentimes can be, maybe right now the battle that you face is so beyond your own ability to wage it, and you're tired, you're weary, you're worn out. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you call upon the commander. You call the commander. It's interesting. Think about it this way. In ancient times, a warrior guarding a castle wall, or in modern days, a soldier tasked with watch at a combat combat outpost by himself or herself, if they were to see an overwhelming force of the enemy approach that position that they were in, that person would not get out of that tower by themselves and think that they were going to take it on by just one person. What would they do? They would call their commander. They would call up the chain. Because up the chain are all the resources that are available right now in order to face that battle. And that's what would happen. There's a story about the prophet Elisha. And Elisha has a servant. And this servant is just freaked out because they're in Goshen and they're surrounded by this enemy. And Elisha's completely at peace because he knows something that this servant doesn't know in that moment of weakness. And what Elisha does is he prays to the Lord and he says, Eli Lord, would you open up my servant's eyes so that he may see? And in that moment, he saw that there were chariots and horses of fire up in the heavenly realms that were around them and within them. And then the Lord threw that opposing army into confusion. What we don't know enough, what I lose sight of too often, is that the commander's available and he's willing. And he's got what we need in order to fight that battle on our own. I think the third thing that we have to realize about the battles that we're in is that there's already victory. We stand in the midst of victory that's already been had. Jesus in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. And he says this, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's already done. Sometimes... Theologians and pastors try to explain this with a metaphor. Now, my grandfather was a World War II fighter pilot, and so as a result of just him taking me under his wing, like bringing me to air shows, teaching me about that era, I kind of took on this liking to World War II history. And oftentimes, to explain the victory that's ours, theologians will point to the battle of 
Normandy as an example of what it means that we already have victory because historians point back to that moment in history when that invasion was successful and there was a beachhead that that was actually when the war was decided. Now there was still nine months of havoc, of lives lost, of a battle that still needed to be faced, but the victory was already secure and it was done. And the same is true for us. It's already, but it's not yet. We stand in the victory of Jesus over the forces of evil, over our own sin, and over everything that would cause us to feel vulnerable and overwhelmed. The battle is his. He's already won. And now, as we stand in it, the truth is we get to as well. Now, it says as we go on, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Standing is a big metaphor there. What does that mean? It means to resist. It means to stand firm. It means to stay planted. It means to stay rooted in the truth of what we've just heard. And here's the great part. We're given tools in order to do that. They're spiritual tools. I want you to think about a tool belt. When you go and do some work, you might have a tool belt. I kind of wish I had a tool belt. Tool belts are kind of cool. You know, we were working on this fence at this church that we're going to start a new gathering at. And the guy who was leading the crew, I knew the moment was real when that guy went out to his truck, got his tool belt, strapped it up. He's like, all right, let's go. That fence was getting fixed. I felt something happen in that moment that like he had the tools that he needed. This is our spiritual tool belt of things that we use in order to fight the battles that are around us. I want to just share a few tonight, and then I want to walk through um, a few tomorrow. But I also want to ask you just the question as we open this up. Which one of these do you feel like is most applicable to you that you want to ask for God's help with the most? Here's the first. Ephesians 6.14. Here's what it says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I think this demands some explanation because this isn't like the belt that I have on, which is for golf. I don't know why, like the only belt that I'm wearing right now is my golf belt. I, and I don't actually know why now, I just share that with you. But um, <laughs> there's, there's belts that we think about. This was different. The belt of a warrior was used to prepare before the battle began. Just a little history, if you'd humor me. Back in the days of the ancient Near East, both men and women wore flowing tunics. And around the tunic, they would wear a belt or a girdle. And now, while those tunics were comfortable and breezy, the hem of the tunic would get in the way when a man was fighting or performing hard labor. So when ancient Hebrew men had to battle the Philistines, as we just heard about, what they would do is they would lift up. They would kind of bunch up the hem of their tunic and wrap it around the belt so that essentially what they were working with was more a pair of shorts to make them more agile than it would before. And what it means is preparing ourselves by wrapping in the truth. So taking ourselves before we go and fight the battle, the belt of truth is wrapping our hearts and our whole life in the truth. We see this happen actually in the life of Jesus. Jesus was baptized, but then he was tempted. He goes out to the wilderness and Satan comes to him. He's hungry and he just tempts him. If you are who you say that you are, turn those stones into bread. What does Jesus do? What weapon does he fight with? The truth, the word of God. And he fights Satan with the words. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And then he does that to
given a model of what that means. The belt of truth is what we wrap ourselves up with, and it's the word of God. It's Jesus himself, and it's the truth that we read about in his scriptures. Without it, we're vulnerable. Let me give you an example. Uh, I've been coaching my son's football team uh, pretty much since he was wearing flags, and now he's going into a seventh grade football season. It starts in two days. <laughs> Here we go. Practice every night. It's going to be awesome. But last year when I was coaching the team, I noticed something about one of the kids. I, I'm more of a defensive-minded coach, it, and I was kind of standing back, helping the kids to figure out. We're past the point of kids like doing somersaults and like gymnastics when they're like wearing their football gear. Now they're starting to get dialed in. But this one individual, I found a particular difficult time trying to keep him focused. And we were ready to do a scrimmage, and the scrimmage was on, and it was getting a little heated because some of these kids in sixth grade are actually strong enough to push a full-grown adult back five yards in a blocking drill. So I'm a little nervous, like, what's going to happen? I look at this kid who's playing linebacker, and his pants are around his ankles. And it was first the few thoughts I thought, that's hilarious, because, <laughs> I mean, it's still, like, you can't take a kid out of third grade, right? Like, there it is right there. First thought I had was, that's funny. Second thought I had was, why is, are his pants around his ankles? But then the third thought I had is panic, because if a tackle came out and hit him, he's done for. He's got no defense, because he's caught vulnerable. What did Cooper do that night? He forgot his belt. He forgot his belt. His pants were way too big to begin with, but he's got no belt. And so he's lost in a vulnerable position. And it's kind of a funny example. But right now, if we drift from the truth, we are left vulnerable as the attack comes. And the best thing that we can do is to soak ourselves in the word of truth, in the word of God. And last night, someone mentioned to me that just as a result of how God has spoken to them in the midst of these times, that, man, they're going to go back and read the whole book of Ephesians. And I thought, if there's, I mean, that, that's great. That, like, that's it. If there's nothing else that happens in these times, um, other than like going back to the word of God and reading it over and over again, then I think this has been a fruitful time together. That's what we need to do. Second piece of armor that we get to fight with that God gives us is the breastplate of righteousness with this in place. What does that mean? breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is our integrity. This is our purity. This is our connectivity to Jesus and how we live actively within him. And when you think about it, that piece of armor for a soldier in ancient times, that was on their chest to protect their vital organs. And it was oftentimes a piece of really finely woven metal. Maybe you're going to Braveheart like I am right now. And when you think about that gear, it was a piece of finely woven together metal chain that was used to cover a soldier's vital organs. And in battle, an enemy would look at a soldier's breastplate and look for vulnerabilities, look for weaknesses, because those weaknesses could be exploited in order to win the victory over their enemy. And for a follower of Jesus, when we drift, we can allow some cracks in our armor. When we sin, which we do, that creates a, a crack, a vulnerability, a place for the enemy to get in, a door that gets cracked in the simplest of ways. But here's the hope, that even though that happens, that happens all the time for us, even though that happens, 
God is ready and willing and able and eager. That was a lot of words to try to get out in one moment. God is ready, willing, able, and eager to forgive you. To wipe the slate clean. And to patch that armor back up again so that you can be even stronger than you were before. It's interesting, when bones break and they're set right, and they've got time to heal, oftentimes they're stronger than they were before that break. And that's the metaphor, that's the picture. We're not righteous in our own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness is not our own. It's the righteousness of Christ. And when we step out of it, when we create and allow for the creation of a crack in our armor, step back in. Lord, I'm sorry for saying that. I'm sorry for doing that. I'm sorry for opening that up. I just want you to repair me, forgive me, and put me back together, and he does. Third piece of armor that we're given, and again, just be listening to God right now. What do you feel like you need to lean into most? The third is the shoes of peace. This is Ephesians 6.15. Here's what it says. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace couple things. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That while we were hopeless sinners, hopeless sinners, enemies of God, God sent Jesus to die on our behalf while we were still yet sinners so that we can be restored into right relationship with him as a free gift of grace just by trusting in Jesus. That's amazing. Does the gospel ever wow you? I mean, it ought. It ought to. It's an incredible, credible thing. While we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Our posture towards Jesus has no impact on his posture towards us. He's there for us, ready and willing and able to forgive us. That's the gospel. Now, peace. What is peace? Peace is wholeness. It's completeness. It's shalom in Hebrew. It's not the absence of conflict, as we're prone to often define it as. It's not the absence of struggle. It's not the absence of strife. It's actually given to us in the midst of those things. The readers then, and now as we read it, would have been familiar with the imagery of shoes of peace in a soldier because the shoe of peace in a Roman soldier was a leather strap on the bottom of a foot, and there were little spikes that were put into it so that they could hold their ground. Because the point is this. These shoes of peace, the gospel... The gospel is meant to be a grounding and a footing for us. It's meant to be roots in the ground in order for us to stand firm and strong in it, to remember it, to live fully in the midst of it, to remember that in Galatians 1, 3 through 5, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want to call us back in just a quick summary because I think what's been happening and I've heard of just even in our own small group, this work has been going on. There's incredible things that are going on in our groups. This is the place that we get to process what we've heard from God. So just a quick summary before we go in that direction. God calls us to be strong, but not in ourselves. God calls us to be strong in the Lord, in Christ. And not just in a portion of power, but in his mighty power. 
And he gives us these pieces of armament to fight the battle that we're, that we're fighting because we're all fighting a battle. We all do. We all do. It's the belt of truth, the word of God. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus's. And it's the shoes of peace, the gospel, that will keep us firm and rooted as we fight those battles. So what are those battles that you face? What are the things that you struggle against? What is it that you feel like you're not enough for? That God can meet you in the midst of and say, that's true, but I'm even greater than you know. Listen to this word as I read it, and then I'll pray. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Lord, we want to do that right now. God, we come before you just in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I thank you for just who you are. God, we give you praise that you're the God who knows us so intimately that you know the number of hair that are on our heads. You know what we need before we even ask it. You know the battles that we're facing in our families, in our workplaces, in the schools that we're a part of, in the world, in our relationships. You know those battles. And God, you have placed us perfectly in them with an opportunity to be able to be strong in you. And you are a God of faithfulness. You are a God of promise. We were reminded of that this morning. What a gift. And you are giving us everything that we need in every moment, even when it feels the most bleak and dark, to be able to stand firm in you, in you alone. So Lord, I want to ask just on behalf of all of our hearts, that you would just help us with that. Help us to know what you want us to take from this and help us to know what it looks like to apply through the journey of searching your heart and being present to you to be able to fight what we need to fight and battle what we need to battle in the midst of the peace that you bring to us. So God, bring us peace tonight. In our groups, Lord, help us to open up to you, to each other, and God, in a way that only you can, just use your church, use the people, use the community that you've given to us as a part of the tools that you give us to fight those battles in order to shoulder that with us. And would you just provide us wisdom as well? Lord, we're grateful to be in your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. And thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray for your provision yet again tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.